Hi, everyone. This is Kevin Hurton, host of the podcast Al Jazeera Investigates. Don't miss our newest investigation that's coming out February 1st. We expose a notorious crime family operating at the seat of power in Bangladesh. Through surveillance, public records, undercover recordings, and stunning whistleblower testimony, we solve a mystery 25 years in the making. Subscribe to Al Jazeera Investigates wherever you get your podcasts. If Black women are saving America, when is it going to be that America saves Black women? Anna Giftiopoku Ajiman is a Ghanaian-American economist committed to boosting the number of Black female economists and businesswomen in the United States. Right now, the unemployment rate for Black women is 12%. At the end of the day, if you're not centering Black women and you're still benefiting from all of the advocacy efforts, all of the hard work that we're putting into making this economy more equitable, this world more equitable, this political system more equitable, and we're not getting even a lick of the benefits of that, then it was all for naught. That's exploitation at that point. For decades, Black women have led the charge on many social movements that have resonated around the country and the world. They fought for LGBT rights, started the Me Too campaign, coordinated Black Lives Matter protests. And as Black History Month kicks off in the U.S., we'll undoubtedly be hearing more important stories like these. But Anna says that oftentimes, that praise doesn't translate to action, to programs that support Black women, particularly entrepreneurs. Black women face some of the highest hurdles when trying to start their own businesses. And when the COVID-19 pandemic derailed thousands of firms around the U.S., they received some of the least support from the U.S. government. Today, we're talking about why that was the case and what some women are doing to change the system. I'm Patricia Sabga, filling in for Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. I've been covering economics for 30 years, and that's why I was so excited to geek out with Anna about some of the trends we've been seeing with Black female entrepreneurship. But first, I wanted to know about Anna's personal journey into a field that features relatively few faces like hers. What did you discover, first of all, as a student when you started looking at the research that was out there? What struck you about the field of economics that you were entering? What really struck me from the very get-go was this really nice marriage between mathematics and social science. This idea of using numbers to understand and delve into social issues. It's just something that I never knew you could do. And I think for me, that sort of led me to say, okay, economics is a really cool subject. I wonder if there's any Black economists that I can sort of look to as a reference. Because one thing I noticed was that when you looked up economists, it was just all white guys. And they all seemed to go to like the same four schools. (laughs) And I was like, so wait, I went to UMBC. Do I get to do this thing? Or is it just reserved for the Ivy League educated white guy? Turns out, obviously, economics is a lot more broader than just those types of people. And when I looked at Black economists, I couldn't find a whole lot. And I think that's really what kind of got me thinking about, okay, I'm going to be a Black person in this space. How do I make sure that I'm able to have people see me so that they feel like they are also 
able to do this kind of work, too. Anna's research stands at the intersection of race, gender, and economics. She's documented a lot of the ways that Black women are left out of the U.S. economy and why that's a problem, not just for Black women, but for the whole country. But she also notes that there have been some significant successes among Black female entrepreneurs, especially before the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Black women, I think, to some degree, have recognized that the workplace as it stands is exclusionary by design. And so unless we make spaces for ourselves, we won't be recognized and humanized in a way that allows us to be our full selves at work. So I think part of the success we're seeing or the growth we're seeing with Black women is due to that fact. The other aspect of it, too, is Black women are educated. More and more Black women are becoming educated through the the means of higher education. And I think that's also why we're seeing this sort of increase in Black women-owned businesses. From 2007 to 2012, there was a 67% increase in the number of firms owned by Black women much higher than any other female entrepreneurial demographic in that time period. So this idea of Black women being successful, I attribute it to Black women deciding that we are going to make spaces for ourselves and also Black women getting educated at a higher rate in those years. These statistics are especially impressive when you consider the systemic obstacles that Black women face when trying to open their own businesses. The issues start early with startup funding. If somebody says they're Black, they're women, I'm not really sure if I trust them with my money, that sort of thing, I'm not going to fund them. That signals the next funder that, wait a minute, they didn't fund it, so why would I fund it? And that just ripples through. If you don't receive startup capital, that suggests to banks as well as other funders that you don't deserve startup capital. And so essentially it becomes a very vicious cycle. So I think that's the first thing. I think the other aspect of it, too, is the people who are giving the money don't look like you. These are like very rich white men. So they might not even see the need of what you're doing in the first place. So you might say, I need some seed capital to start a wig company. And they're saying, I don't see the relevance of that. But the wig industry, as it relates to, you know, black women is huge. A wig can run anywhere from $50 to $300. Market research firm Mental values the black hair industry at $2.54 billion. At the age of 23, I've spent almost $30,000 on my hair. I spend about $2,000 a year on hair. Seven to 8000 a year. Like $2,000 a year on products, like seriously. There is a lot of money to be made there, but because you don't have the vision, because you don't have the team that is informing your diverse perspective or your lack thereof, you don't really understand why this person is coming to you with this idea. It's just not in your purview. And that's exactly what goes back to this idea of getting more Black women into the space in the first place. Having Black women in the space actually helps Companies and institutions identify the need so that more Black women there will get um, startup capital and funding for their initiatives. The need, the opportunity. There's an opportunity there to make money and they're missing it. Right. If we're talking bottom line only, you can make money in Black communities, right? This idea of makeup companies now just adding additional Black shades. All of those have sold out. Rihanna is a moment. 
So today we're gonna to be talking about our brand new powder foundation at Fenty Beauty. This because Fenty Beauty came out with what, 50 shades? And all of a sudden, all these makeup companies were like, wait a minute, she's selling out. This is becoming a multi-million dollar business and she's doing really well. Why? Well, black women are buying her products. Why? Because black women buy stuff. Come on. <laughs> Anna says the resources available to entrepreneurs in the U.S. often exclude Black women and their needs. Banks are reluctant to lend to them, and when they do, they often lend on unfavorable terms some call predatory. Potential investors that give budding entrepreneurs startup funds often don't understand the problems Black businesswomen are trying to solve. All of these factors deepen and contribute to an economic problem we've seen in the U.S., well, throughout its history. The economy is improving, but not everyone is reaping the rewards. One of the most defining features of the U.S. labor market is the large and persistent disparity in unemployment that exists between Black and white workers. Black job seekers are about half as likely to secure employment during a consecutive four-week period as are white job seekers. Since the early 1970s, when the government first started tracking the unemployment rate by race, there's been a consistent gap between the unemployment rate for whites compared to Blacks and Latinos. But we actually started to see those gaps start to narrow slightly toward the end of 2019. Because the economy was doing so well. Black businesses were doing so well. And then the pandemic hit. And the Black community, and Black women in particular, are bearing the brunt of it. Here in the United States, even as most of the country reopens, many small businesses are discovering it might be too late for them. And that's especially true for Black-owned businesses. The New York Fed estimates Black-owned businesses in the U.S. declined 41% between February and April. Their white counterparts, less than 20%. Everything we talk about with regards to the racial wealth gap, with regards to inequality in the labor market, is essentially exasperated by COVID-19. We see it almost immediately. So the first group that feels economically insecure is one of the most marginalized groups, Black women. So leanin.org showed that the majority of Black women felt like they couldn't put food on the table, that they couldn't pay their bills, as compared to their white counterparts. At one point, the unemployment rate for Black women was about 16.4%. That's ridiculous, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is a problem, right? And what is interesting is most recently, CNN came out with a report that showed that all of the losses that happened in terms of jobs in December, 2020 were women. But what they didn't say explicitly in that headline was that it was black and Latina women. So why is that? Well, the leisure and hospitality industries for obvious reasons, have been some of the worst affected by the pandemic. And those are the sectors where Black businesses, and specifically those owned by Black women, are overrepresented. Part of that is because of the seed capital issue we mentioned earlier. When Black businesswomen can't access startup money, they turn to sectors that require less of it, like leisure and hospitality. And when the pandemic hit, the government threw a financial lifeline to small businesses, but it didn't always reach the ones that needed it most. Anna says Black women need to take matters into their own hands to support each other when the system does not. And she's not the only woman advocating for that. 
So I was looking like for grants for Black women business owners, and there were no grants back then. So that's how the Black Women Business Grant came to be. I was like, okay, can't find it. I need it. It's my job to create it. Nikki Porcher is the owner of a nonprofit based in Atlanta, Georgia, called Buy From a Black Woman. We educate, empower, and inspire Black women business owners while spreading awareness about the importance of supporting and buying for Black women. Also, we provide resources for those who are looking to shop and buy for Black women. We take all the excuses away for them. Nikki started her nonprofit in 2016, initially just as a blog. She set up what she called the Buy from a Black Woman Challenge, where she only bought products sold by Black businesswomen. And then she wrote about them to raise awareness. There was a woman who had cotton candy. There was a woman who was actually doing like mail carrier through her trucking services. And I would just spread awareness, spread a word through my blog about these businesses. And when people saw what she was doing, they started supporting the project with donations. Buy from a Black woman grew more and more popular. People were like sending money, like, hey, I see what you're doing. Here's $20 or here's $50 to, you know, so you can keep buying. But then on the flip side, other people who had businesses, Black women, they're like, hey, can you talk about my business? Or can I send you something so you can blog about my business? Eventually, Buy From a Black Woman became Nikki's full-time job. As she expanded her client base, Nikki set up the grant we mentioned earlier to help Black women establish or market their businesses. Then she started coordinating programs to educate Black women on business practices, tax information, marketing. And it really just grew from that. It's the community saying, hey, this is what we need. Me reaching back to the community, see who can provide that, and just matching and mentioning it too. For four years, Nikki grew her business and saw the various ways it benefited her community. Some of her clients grew so successful that they were able to feed money back into Nikki's nonprofit, allowing her to help even more women. But when the pandemic hit, a lot of that growth came to a halt. We did a climate survey in-house just to see like, okay, how are you doing, Black woman? What's going on? Talk to me, like, let me know. And... Of the Black women, I want to say about 60% were saying, like, we've lost funds, we we parked our shipping, we're no longer operating. Like, 60% of my community was like, we don't know what's going to happen. And this was back in April, late April, early May. There were, like, businesses here and there who were doing, like, COVID relief, but it wasn't for Black businesses. Like, we saw, like, the PPP was going to millionaire companies, Right. By PPP, she's referring to the Paycheck Protection Program, the government aid program for small businesses. Like to companies who did not deserve it, who didn't need it, who were lying about it. The Black businesses weren't able to get that money. In the absence of adequate government assistance, I asked Nikki how she helped her clients navigate the pandemic. We did PPP classes when it came out, making sure they had the proper education, make sure they know how to fill out the forms. It was extremely tough because literally every other day the information was changing. A lot of the frustration that came from Black women in my community, they were just like, I'm not filling out because one, I don't want to get audited if I'm doing this incorrectly because the information keeps changing. And two, I don't even know what I'm supposed to be doing. 
One of the things we found out is because small businesses, a lot of them work just they're just solely entrepreneurs just by themselves. They were not doing a good job of payroll. And that was one of the requirements when it came to the PPP. You have to show that you actually have payroll on your books, that you're actually paying employees. And a lot of these business owners were not paying themselves and they were not even documenting that they were paying themselves. So that took a lot of them out of the running to even try to apply. So they just didn't apply and they were just trying to figure it out on their own, doing GoFundMe or raising campaigns and just borrowing from friends and families, tapping into their savings and their 401ks or just like limiting inventories. Like, hey, where I used to offer five products, I'm only offering two now because these are two I know that I can sell. So a lot of pivoting, a lot of innovation is what happened as a result because they just could not apply for the PPP. So why do you think that these sort of confusing guidelines that came out initially with the Paycheck Protection Program, why do you think they disproportionately affected the Black community and Black businesses? I think because of Black businesses, a lot of them are startup entrepreneurs or solo entrepreneurs, first-generation entrepreneurs. Just the education part is not there. So we don't have the luxury to just say, hey, Jim, take care of that and apply for this outrageous loan that I don't need just so I can have some money. And that just goes back to how the country was formed to make sure that Black communities, minority communities are always behind the eight ball when it comes to stuff like that. Like, it's hard to make the laws when you're not in the rooms creating the laws. So we're just, like, trying to figure it out Nikki says the women she works with were ultimately supported, not by the government, but by other companies and people who were moved by last year's anti-racism protests in the U.S. The movement has many people shopping at only Black-owned businesses for the entire month of June. Following the recent deaths of unarmed Black people by police, there's a growing movement to support Black entrepreneurs. Websites like Yelp, DoorDash, and Facebook even highlighting Black-owned shops. You know, black people have been getting killed since time has been time. So that's nothing new. But the fact that everybody was forced to be home and we did nothing but watch the news or be on social media, you could not look away. A lot of these higher companies who did have the means and the resources to be a provider for black businesses had to do something like they couldn't be quiet. So then when the emphasis was put on black businesses, a lot of black businesses were then able to get the funding and the money and to turn their businesses around. And I give thanks for that. Is there any one business that really stands out for you? Oh, yes. I'm, so I will say Sinead Jones, she's the founder of IVC, and she's actually our first grant recipient. Sinead Jones started her herbal tea business in November 2016 as a side gig. But she started working on it full time in June of last year when she lost her job. So like she was working from home and working remotely and then they let her go. And she was like, okay, now my business that was my side hustle, my side project now has to become my full-time business because I have nothing else. And just to see her growth from that and her resilience and not giving up and determination is an inspiration story as well. We asked Sinead to send us some voice notes so we could hear her story firsthand. She says the past year has been difficult, but that ultimately, it's been a blessing for her to be able to focus on her business full-time. Ivy's tea has flourished. 
The business is different now that I can give it my full-time attention because before I was just home-based, working out of about 100 or 150 square feet. And now I've got way more than that. I now have a warehouse, so I've made more money, of course. And now I get to reinvest in the business. We've got new packaging. I have an opportunity to just really provide more products and more services to my customers, stay on top of trends, continue to make the business just as relevant as possible, and maintaining that truth to myself. And so the difference is that there's a deeper relationship between myself and my customers, myself and the business, and also how I view myself as a businesswoman. So Nikki, now we're in a new year. But we still have some tough months ahead when we take a look at what happened to the labor market in December, 166,000 jobs lost, seven months of job creation came to a screeching halt. It's going to be a brutal couple of months. So I'd really like to get a sense, where is your focus right now and where are you hoping that you'll be come June 2021 and the businesses that you help? So we are focusing on educating and providing financial resources. So right now we have our accelerator program where we're going to make sure that we're teaching Black women business who already are established the real fundamentals of how to make sure your business is successful and ready to scale. We're only accepting 20 participants into that program because at the end of that 10 weeks, we will be launching the Black Women Loan Fund. So we'll be providing micro loans to members of our community. So removing that hurdle of not having startup capital, not being able to be approved for a loan, buying from Black women is going to stand the gap and create and provide micro loans for Black women business owners who are part of our community. So that's where our focus is on and just making sure like we are being that resource where you think there's no resources for you. Why is it important that people support Black women-owned businesses? So our mantra is when you support a Black woman business owner, you support a whole community. And that is because that Black woman business owner is pouring into her community. So you're supporting her business. And guess what? She's supporting probably 10 other businesses within that community that are going to grow. And it's just a funnel effect. That's how you can look at it. It's so important to support Black women because we are leaders of our communities. We're making sure that things are happening in our community. We stand out in our community. We speak for our communities. We advocate for our communities. We go so hard for our communities, comma, in other communities as well. So when you support a Black woman, you're not just supporting just that one Black woman. You're not supporting just that one business. You're supporting so much more than you would ever even see. And that's The Take. If you want to learn more about Nikki Porsher or Anna Giftiopuku Ajiman, check out their websites. Nikki's is buyfromablackwoman.org, and Anna's the co-founder of a group called The Sadie Collective, which aims to increase the number of Black women in economics and related fields. We'll share more information about both of them on our social media pages. We're at AJ the Take on Twitter and Instagram. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve, with me, Patricia Sabga, Dina Kesba, Nagin Oliai, Alexandra Locke, Amy Walters, Nay Alvarez, and Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana is our engagement producer. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. And Stacey Samuel is The Take's executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs>